that God really is able to use to, to change lives and help change lives. So because you give, we've not been, only been able to, to meet those needs outside the church and inside the church, but then everything else, that just normal stuff that comes up. And so thank you for giving. If you'd like to be a part of that flow of generosity here at Real Life, you can do so uh, either in person or through our website. If you're joining us at church online, just click the blue give button that's in the uh, chat window if you're over there. If you're joining us on Facebook, you'll have to go to reallifecc.us, click on the orange give icon on the bottom right hand corner. You can do that if you're in person here in the house today as well. We do have the bucket in the back. And uh, again, if you're joining us online, you can uh, give to the, um, well, the, you're not even in the screen right now. So the address, the PO box at the bottom of the screen there, uh, or it's at the footer of every page of the website. So however you give, thank you that you give so that we can give. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for loving us, for giving to us, and uh, just for giving us every good thing in your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, that, that you made us a part and you brought us to be a part of this generous church. and that we've been able to help people as you lead um, uh, both inside and outside of the church. And so would you just continue to bless us so that we can be a blessing? That's the way that you planned it. Um, and we're just excited to be a part of that, that flow of generosity uh, from you to us, to others, that every person possible might find real life. Your son Jesus and look more like him every day. Thank you for that calling, God. In Jesus' name. service for us to take communion. Uh, I'm going to tell a story, uh, and this involves a cop and an elderly lady, uh, elderly black lady to be more uh, specific. Now some of you may already be thinking of what this story uh, is about um, because of recent events, but the story is actually much different uh, than what even I expected it to be. It started as this elderly black lady named Vicki Williams Tillman was driving to get groceries on a normal Sunday morning before church. And as she was driving, uh, she saw what many people see all the time. She saw a cop pulled up to a stranger's car, but something wasn't quite right. Getting a closer look, she saw the police officer was viciously being beat over the head with a baton by a younger man. Instead of continuing to drive by, as many other people have already done, she said she called out to the officer to see if, she needed, if he needed any help. A 56-year-old, tiny, elderly woman. And I saw the picture. She was a very, I mean, she had to have been maybe 90 pounds, so a very, very small old lady. Uh, she saw the desperation in the cop's eyes, but the cop couldn't yell out to her. And she immediately rushed out of her car and leaped onto the back of the assailant to stop him from beating the officer. She continued to fight off the attacker, this little elderly lady, until police had arrived where she was thrown off by the attacker, but she gave the officers enough time uh, to arrive at the scene and subdue the attacker and save the cop. Vicki later found out the attacker had jumped the cop after the cop had found him passed out in the car in the parking lot with drugs in the car. Taking his baton, flashlight, taser, and uh, the officer later said was about to grab the gun out of his holster. 
Vicki was later asked why she had intervened and simply said, it was something that went through my soul. She said, you don't think about the risk. Vicki ended up getting injured, but not terribly, just a sprain of the wrist. And the cop had, of course, head wounds from the baton. And the cop said, it could have ended very differently, obviously, with uh, the assailant grabbing his gun if she did not come. And my favorite quote is from Vicki at the end of the interview where she said uh, to reporters, a lot of people passed him up, and that's not fair. They're human beings just like us. We're all one family. I wish this had happened just this last month because of all the civil unrest we've dealt with over the past couple months, um, but it actually happened in February of 2017. Um, so it was shortly after the civil unrest of 2016, so I think it's a very similar situation that we're dealing with now. And I also think this is a modern, real-life story of our biblical story that we grew up hearing all the time uh, of the Good Samaritan. This is someone who is of the opposite side. You know, Republican against a Democrat, a Chiefs versus a Bronco, a Christian versus a Muslim, or an Israeli versus a Palestine. Most people walk by when they see someone of the opposite side, but this lady decided to put that down and help and risked her life in the, in the process. And so I think we should all act like this lady did and act like Jesus wants us to. Uh, I, for one, don't know if I would have acted that way um, because I would have been terrified for my life, um, but I'm glad that Vicki did because she saved a life that day. And so as we take communion, uh, we have stations on either side um, for uh, you guys to take communion. We just ask that you are a believer in Christ, and that you believe that he sacrificed his life so that we could live in eternity with him. Uh, God didn't die to save our physical body, but to save our souls. So take communion in remembrance of that today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. I thank you for working through us and ask you would continue to do so and to show us how we should be in our everyday lives. Let us live every day thinking how we could help those around us and further your glory. Amen. Lost or saved, find their way.
Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but that kind of puts a different spin on that statement. And it, and it really makes it more personal, like, oh, okay, it is my sin, my shame, my guilt that put him on the cross. And so when we hear things like Jesus would have gone to the cross just for you or, or that God, God loved you, right? We replace God so loved the world with God loved you so much that he gave his only son. Now, we say things that way because they're designed to help us wrestle with this incredible, overwhelming love that God has for each and every one of us as his creation. But we have managed, I think, humanity in our sinfulness. We have, have managed, but we've managed, I think, also with the help of Satan, to twist God's love for us into his reason for being. You see the difference there? So, so we've said, well, God, uh, Jesus came to the earth. God so loved the world that he sent his son. He so loved me that he sent his son to die in my place because I am worth it. You get that? So instead of focusing, which is what we're supposed to do, instead of focusing on the great and overwhelming love that God has for us, we begin to think that we're worth more. Like God exists for my personal benefit because I'm good and God needs me to be a part of his kingdom. Or, or like my presence in heaven is what will make heaven complete. Like God's just waiting in heaven for me to get there and then everything's going to be going to be great. And, and just in case there's any misunderstanding here, I just want you to know with all the love and the care that I have for you and I have for myself, all of that is just utter nonsense. The idea that God needs us for heaven to be great, that he needs us to be a part of his kingdom or it's not going to be complete, is just nonsense. God does deeply desire to be in personal relationship with each and every one of us. But not just us who, who sit through a Sunday morning service, whether in person or, or online at, at, at home. Not just those people who show up to church or who, who give a little bit in the offering or who serve somehow. God desperately wants to be in relationship with the homeless person that you passed on the way to church this morning. Or the addict who's slowly draining the life out of all of those who actually care about that. He wants to be known by that person at work that drives you crazy. God wants to have a personal and deep relationship with your neighbor that just can't seem to mind their own business. The coming of Jesus, his cross and his cure are supposed to, to help us understand this overwhelming and unimaginable love that God has for each of us. But instead, we use it to make ourselves feel superior to other people or to convince ourselves that, that we are really special in God's eyes, that, that God owes us something some blessing, some benefit, because we chose to follow him. 
So a lot of times as we talk about the love of God, instead of us being grateful for that love and trying to understand, as Paul says, that we would know the, the width and the depth and the height of God's love for us, instead of understanding that from God's perspective, we tend to just let it make us feel better about who we are. We didn't choose to follow Jesus. And I've said that for, for a long time. When it comes to that point, you know, the end of the service or whatever, in the old time church, we call it an invitation time. And, and it is moving towards this point where you make a decision for Jesus. And, and we'll say today, are you ready to choose Jesus? But I don't think we choose to follow Jesus. I think that when we, when we talk that way, we talk about, our, we just choose to follow Jesus, made a decision to follow Jesus um, one day, that I think God's grace can be cheapened in that. This amazing grace that God has for us, and we simply flip a switch and decide one day to follow Him. The truth is that, that God chose us. That's what Scripture says. Scripture says that God chose us from the beginning, the foundations of creation. He knew us. He chose us, but not just us, every person in the world, and we'll see that in just a minute. And, and he chose us so that we might surrender to him, not so that we might just choose him, not so that we might just make some decision for him, that we might just assent <coughs> mentally to this point where we go, okay, I believe in Jesus, and now God bless me and give me all the things that I want and, and love me because I have made this decision. Let me say it this way. Jesus didn't die so we could build our own kingdoms. He died so we could join his. The focus of our salvation is not just I'm so great and God needs me to be a part of his kingdom. And when I get to heaven, heaven's going to be complete. And he's going to go, oh, man, I was waiting for just for you. I mean, I had all these other people, Moses and Abraham and Peter and James and John and all of them. But I, wouldn't, I didn't care about them. I was waiting for you. And you made this place perfect. Jesus died to pay our sin price. And he rose from the dead as a promise of our own pending resurrection. But not only us. He did it so that every person possible might find and look more like Jesus every day. And the only way for that to happen is by our daily surrender to Jesus, the king of our lives. As the Holy Spirit gives us power to live under Jesus' reign while we wait for his return. So um, let me say it a different way. This is kind of be, be where we're focusing today. God is not as interested in our personal good as he is our collective good. Does that sound like a socialist statement? <laughs> it's not, okay? But there is some idea that like, God loves each of us individually the same. And we don't really understand that. I don't really understand that. But, but, but let me break it down even, even further. Jesus didn't just come for me. He came for us. And again, we talk about God's love for us and we speak about that and we begin to think, oh, I really am great and God really needs me. But Jesus came for all of us. 
not just me individually. And when we figure that out, we figure out that, that he came for us and not just me, then we get to join him in mission until the whole world knows about Jesus. And so it changes the focus. When we begin to understand this concept, this idea, it changes our focus. Instead of faith or Christianity or our religion or whatever you want to call it, your spirituality being about me and what I get out of it and how God is going to bless me and benefit me and do good things for me, when we understand that he's more interested in our collective good and that really, really came to save us and not just me, then I get to join in what he's doing. I get to become a part of what he's doing with other people until the whole world knows. So, does God want what's best for us? Personally, individually, does he want what's best for us? And the answer is absolutely he does. Absolutely he wants the best for you. He's a good, good father who the Bible says wants to give good gifts to his children. But make no mistake, we are not the center of his universe. He is. He is God. He is holy. He is awesome. He is altogether perfect and righteous. And he needs no one else to make him or his heaven complete. Let me say it this way. If God was alone for eternity, he would not be missing anything. Because he's God. He doesn't need us to feel complete or to feel whole. And if he did, if he did need us to fill some hole in his being, then he would not be God. Now, we got to balance that, right? I mean, because what I'm saying is like, we're like, I, I don't know, so I was working on it this week. I'm like, ooh, I don't think I really like that. <laughs> I, I really want God to be all about me and for me and blessing me and loving me and doing all of these things. And when you get to think about what he really is about, I'm like, I don't know if I really like that. And so make no mistake, God is complete and he's perfect and he's holy and he's awesome in and of himself. But he does want us to be with him. He does want us to be in relationship with him, to be present with him. Sins forgiven and eternal life granted because it's best for us, though, not because it's best for him. So the thing God, things God does in our life are, are not just because they make us feel good, us better, we get more. The things God does in our life are, are really because he came for us and he's looking out the, for, for the collective good. And his purpose is much bigger and broader than just my individual self and how I feel and what I want and how I like things. He wants us to be present with him. Sins forgiven, eternal life granted, because it's best for us, not because it's best for him. God does not need us, but that doesn't mean he doesn't want us. And so, because he is perfect and holy and awesome in and of himself, it makes it that much more amazing, I think, that he invites us into his presence and to be a part of his mission. When we really understand that God doesn't need me, he doesn't need Corey Landreth to, to make things work. He doesn't need me to be, a, if I wasn't here as the pastor of this church, somebody else would be. And it might be better. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need 
us into being. He's perfect in and of himself. But because he is perfect and holy, that makes his love for us that much more amazing. Because we go, God loves me not because of what I give to him. Not because I, I benefit his kingdom some, somehow or some way. Not because I'm so good at the things I do that he couldn't get along without me. But simply because of his great and amazing love for me. He invites me and you into his presence and to be a part of his mission. Now, God does care about you. He knows you. He's numbered not just your days, but the hairs on your head. And he wants to be involved in your daily life. By the way, I've got plenty of other issues that God needs to deal with me on. That's why I shave my head. So he doesn't have to worry about counting so much. <laughs> just gets to focus on the bad stuff going on inside of me. Okay. He wants to be involved in our daily lives. He loves us, but we have got to mature beyond this selfish view of just our salvation and, and, and be able to see God's full redemptive plan for all of humanity. Paul said it this way, I'd, I'd like to be able to give you meat to chew on, spiritual meat to chew on that will nourish you and, and protein and it's going to build up your spiritual muscles. But, but you're not even ready for that. You're still on your mother's milk. That's what Paul is saying in that passage. You're still being fed by mom and you, you, you're not ready for this, this bigger stuff to eat that's going to actually nourish and benefit you spiritually. And, and so we may come to faith in Jesus with a very selfish choose Jesus, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, he's going to bless me and give me these things. But, but we've got to mature beyond that point, beyond that selfish view of salvation and be able to see God's full redemptive plan for all of humanity. So today, we wrap up this series, we're going to back up to the beginning and we're going to see kind of where a little bit as we work through this, where we got off track thinking that God had tunnel vision for just us as his followers, okay? So as we um, wrap this up, we're going to go back and start in Genesis. I've got several passages of scriptures to look at today um, as we look and see what God's plan was from the very beginning and then where we're going to get to um, at the end and, and kind of how we are to grow spiritually as we understand God's plan for all of humanity. But because it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, Let's pray before we get into the rest of it, okay? God, thanks for loving us in, incredibly. And I just ask for um, grace and patience today as we, as we talk about this, that, that actually it's a little hard for us to, to hear and to think about that, that maybe we're not individually the center of your universe. And, and maybe even as a church, we're not the center of your universe. And, and, and God, sometimes that's difficult. It kind of rubs us the wrong way. And so I just pray, God, today that we would have ears to hear, that we would have hearts that are open to you, that we would have eyes um, to see your bigger plan, that this incredible humanity-wide, worldwide, redemptive plan to bring every single person into the kingdom of God. And, and, and God, that by the end of this morning, we would have a, a much um, wider vision of what you're trying to accomplish in the world so that we can be a part of that, so we can join you in that, and then 
and then see your ultimate purpose and plan uh, come about, not just in our lives as we individually follow you and surrender to you daily, but in the world, that we might see your son Jesus lifted up, and that, that he might draw all people to himself. So that would be the goal today, God, as we listen in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses, and we're going to talk about this guy named um, Abram. He starts at the Lord said to Abram. Now, you may not be familiar with Abram. Abraham's name is later changed to Abraham. Okay, so that's who we're talking about. The patriarch, the very first one that God called out of the earth of the Chaldeans, and, and he started the nation of Israel, okay? So the Lord said to Abram or Abraham, leave your country, your family, your relatives, go to the land that I will show you. I'll bless you and make your descendants into a great nation. You will become famous. You'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, but I will be a curse on anyone who puts a curse on you. Everyone on earth will be blessed because of you. Now, we first read that um, passage, and, and, and we're like, as believers, we're like, hey, can I sign up to be Abraham? Like, I'll leave my family if I get all of that stuff. God, you're going to bless me. And anybody who tries to curse me and do something bad, you know, like that co-worker who talks bad about me behind my back, you're going to get them. And you're going to bless me? And you're going to make me famous? Woo! Like, let me sign up to do that. I'm, I'm there, God. Let me be a modern-day Abraham. And, and, it's, and it's kind of cool because we go back and go, okay, what's going on? So you had Adam and Eve, right? God created Adam and Eve. You have Cain uh, uh, and Abel. And then um, Abel dies, and then Adam and Eve have Seth, all right? And we go a few generations down. It's not very long, and all of a sudden, sin has corrupted the world, and God has to call Noah, and we have the ark, and Noah and his family are saved, and, and then out of that, we have humanity restarting again from Noah and his three sons, and it's not very long. In fact, it's, it's not very many years after Noah dies before God calls Abraham. Okay, so, so Abraham, when he is born, his dad is talking, Terah, and then I think our facts said might have been his uh, grandpa, they're talking like they knew Noah. They had conversations with Noah about what it was like in the flood, and, and they lived like with him. They were contemporaries. And so just a few years later, then Abraham is born, and, and yet we understand the world is back to sinning. There's a lot of junk going on, and so God calls Abraham, and he calls Abraham directly and solely. He speaks directly to Abraham and calls him out of the middle of the sin and the gum that he would in. Now, God said that he would bless Abraham and make him famous. Now, the word you or your, referring to Abraham, is used ten times in these three short verses. But when we look a little closer and see how God is going to bless Abraham, we, we learn something about the blessing. Okay, let, let's look at that. The first thing he says is he's going to make him into a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation. And, and that's really cool, right? So he calls Abraham. He's like, hey, you're going to have a great big family. In fact, your family is going to get so big that it's going to become the size of the nation. Another um, translation, God, God said, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants so many that they're outnumber the sands on the seashore. So he calls Abraham for the purpose of making a great nation or creating a nation. 
You've got to start somewhere. So he started with one man, Abraham, and, and his wife. And he said, okay, you're going to be the beginning. Like, mom and dad, got to have a kid. And then you can make a great nation. It's a process, right? So I'm blessing you, but I'm blessing you to be a nation of, of, of people. The second thing he says is that I'm going to make you famous. But not famous so that Abraham will have riches and, uh, and, and, and fame like we think of today. Okay, so like he wasn't a big famous YouTuber. He wasn't on TV. Uh, everybody didn't know him. He didn't play basketball back then. Uh, and everybody knew who he was. That wasn't the kind of fame that, that God was talking about. It wasn't so that Abraham would, would be rich or have everything he needed. But he says, I'm going to make you a blessing uh, and be, you'll be a blessing to others. I'm going to make you famous so that you'll be a blessing to others. So what we learned is that Abraham's um, the great nation and the blessing of being famous wasn't just for he or his family, but it was to be a blessing to others. The result of God's relationship with Abraham wasn't just a big family or that Abraham would be the like the top of the heap, right? He's going to be the most famous person in the world. And God's going to bless him. He's going to get all of these things. But God was going to do all of this, he says, for the purpose of blessing everyone on earth. So God started with Abraham, but his plan was for everybody. So we see this interesting thing um, happen. God did make Abraham into a great nation, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. Okay, guess what? Um, God's plan didn't change. From Abraham to the nation, in those hundreds of years between the two, God's plan didn't change. So we're going to look next at what God says to uh, through the prophet Jeremiah about that nation that came directly from uh, Abraham, the nation of Israel. So God calls Abraham when he's in his homeland, says, go to the land, I'll show you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you famous, but so that you can be a blessing to everybody. And then God's promise comes true, and now there's a whole nation of people who can claim Abraham. That's how he's famous, right? Claim Abraham as their father. And then God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah when he says this, then I'll appoint wise rulers who will obey me and they will care for you like shepherds. Okay, he's talking about the nation of Israel and specifically the city of Jerusalem. He says the whole city of Jerusalem will be my throne and all nations will come here to worship me and they will no longer follow their stubborn evil hearts. Again, we have God expressing incredibly deep concern and personal involvement with people, not just with a single person, Abraham, but now with people, the whole nation, and not just that man or family, right? God is going to give this nation wise rulers. Every nation wants wise rulers who will obey God and will care for people. Part of the struggle that Israel had was that the, the people in charge, the wise rulers, were not very wise. And they took care of themselves, but they didn't take care of the people. And so we kind of understand this, right? In, in just a few days now, we're going to go to the polls and we're going to elect leaders of our nation. And, and that's a little bit scary because one of the things it seems like we're seeing more and more is that our politicians, those people who are supposed to be our wise leaders, really seem to care more about themselves than the nation that they are supposed to lead and serve. 
And so God says to Jeremiah, look, this nation that I have blessed and created from Abraham, I'm going to give them wise leaders, and the wise leaders are going to make life better for you. They're going to care for you like shepherds. And the Jewish people had a very keen understanding of a shepherd. A shepherd was uh, intimately involved with his sheep. sheep. He knew them by name. He took care of them. He led them to green pastures, and he led them to water. And so there's this intimate relationship here. And so God is saying, look, I'm going to give you leaders who are not just going to obey me, but they're going to care for you in an intimate and personal way. They're going to make sure that, that your life is as good as it can be. And then the whole city is going to be my throne. But look, the reason that God gives for giving wise leaders and for blessing the na nation of Israel is the same reason that he gave for blessing and making Abraham famous. He says that all the nations will come here to Jerusalem to worship me. And they will no longer follow their stubborn, stubborn and evil hearts. See, Israel was supposed to be the spiritual epicenter of the world. They were supposed to welcome all people, every tribe and tongue and nation. They were supposed to welcome into Israel. And so just like Abraham was supposed to bless all people in the world, the nation of Israel was to be a blessing to all people. So that as they followed God, they followed these wise leaders who followed God, they were taken care of. Every other nation might come to know this God of the Hebrew people. And that they would come into Jerusalem, that they would worship God with the people of, of Israel. And the whole world would be converted to Christianity. Yes, that is God's plan. That the whole world would be converted to Christianity. Not by force and not by fear, but through faith and through love and through concern. So that was God's plan, but that is not what happened. The people of Israel, instead of opening the gates of the city and the nation and welcoming those people who were outside and foreigners, instead of doing that, the, the people of Israel really said, no, this is our God and you can't have any part of it. They shut the doors to the temple. They kept everybody else out. And instead of doing this and allowing all nations to come and worship, no, they said, this is our God and we're going to follow him and you can't. Now you can you can convert to Judaism, but you can't come and worship. You can't be a part of what's going on. This is our God. Look at the relationship between the people of Israel and just their closest neighbors to the north who were Israelite people. The Samaritans, they're called in the, in the Bible. Jesus tells a story about the good Samaritan. Remember that story? Okay, so, so these are their close neighbors and blood relatives to the Jewish people. And yet the Jews hated them. Wouldn't even go into their homes. Didn't even want to have to, 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 to do business with the Samaritan people. They didn't want anything to do with them. And it was the same for every other nation of the world. And so God's plan, as he says to Jeremiah, is to bless the nation of Israel so that they can be a blessing to every other nation on earth. And Israel said, no, we're not interested in that. Instead of welcoming all nations, they, they hoarded God just to themselves. And so God has to do something else, right? He's like, okay, uh, Israel, you're not doing what I told you you were supposed to do. So, so here's what's going to happen instead. And so God sends his son, Jesus, born a Jew, 
in the line of David, both on his father and his mother's side. One of the reasons that, that, that the Israelites didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah actually is because he talked about doing what Jeremiah said, welcoming all people into the kingdom of God. And so here's what John says about Jesus in 1 John 2.2. 2. Christ is the sacrifice that takes away our sins. And so every Jewish person would be like, yeah, all right, takes away our sins, my sins, that's good. I'm going to heaven, everything is great. But then John has to add, and the sins of all the world's people. And then the Jewish people are like, wait a minute, God, we, we didn't think that was the way this was going to be, right? You were going to lift up the nation of Israel and you were going to squash everybody else. That's what we that's what we wanted. That's why you have Jesus talking to the disciples and they go into a town and the townspeople don't really want to listen to what Jesus has to say. And so the disciples go, hey, Jesus, would you like us to call a fire down from heaven to consume these wicked, horrible people? Jesus is like, no, you don't get it at all. You don't get it at all. Jesus came to take away the, the sins of the nation of Israel, but also the sins of the people in the whole world. Jesus wasn't just sent to the Jews, as they believed. They thought that's what he was. They expected the Messiah to establish an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem with Israel at the top of the nation's leaders, a nation to which all other nations bow and owe tribute. And the religious leaders of the day, the people who ruled the temple of the day, were going to be going to be the Messiah's cabinet. And they were going to reign with him. But that was never God's plan. John says that Jesus paid the price for the sin of the Israelites and the sins of every person in the whole world. And this made the Jews upset because they saw this as putting the Jewish people like they thought they were up here. And then they thought, then they were like, wait a minute, you're lowering us to be on the same level with all other people in the world. Something that the, the Jews never believed was the case. They never believed that they were on the same level as everybody else. They always thought God loved them more and loved them better. Just like the Jewish people, Jesus didn't die just for our sins as followers of his. He died for the sins of those who do not yet follow. And, and, and God's love for those people who are outside the walls of this church and every other church is just as strong as his love is for us inside. And it's hard for us to get that sometimes because we go, wait a minute, God, look, I serve and I give and I show up and I, I tune in online and, I, and I'm there like I'm giving to you. You ought to love me more. And he's like, no, that's not really how it, it works. God doesn't play favorites. We do. We do, but God doesn't. And so it's hard for us to understand how God could love those who don't love him as much as he loves those of us who do love him. But remember, he's God, and he is perfect. He can do whatever he wants because he's the king. And so God is able to love equally without favoritism. When he loves us, he loves us all equally without favoritism. And, and it's precisely because he's God. And we can't understand this, this love that God has for us. It's difficult for us to understand. I think the closest thing for us to, to, to kind of mirror that love that God has for us is to talk about the love that a parent has for their child. 
right? I, I, I remember when my, my kids were born, and, um, and I'm sorry to my oldest who's sitting over here as a son, but, but when your daughter is born, that's a whole different level of love, I think. That, um, maybe that's a bad word for it. Sorry. I mean, I love you. You were the first. That's great. But, but as, a, as a father, I think maybe that's when a daughter comes in. Like, I remember all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm like, I go, oh, crap. I have to be a man now. Like, I have a daughter. I have to watch out. You know, like, it's just this, I don't know, this thing that we have. we got to protect and we gotta, we got to provide and all of that kind of stuff. And so to the love that a parent has for their child is like the closest thing that we can associate with God's love for us. And yet, we have a hard time loving other people's children. I can love my children, and I can, I can, you know, I can love them unconditionally and go, man, you, you blew that, but I still love you, and I'm going to welcome you back, and I'm going to care for you, you're my family, um, but somebody else's kid messes up, and we're like, ah, whatever. Do you experience that? Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But I think we, we, we want to understand God's love for us, and we, go, we talk about that unconditional love that a parent has for their child, and yet we don't love every child with unconditional love. We love our children with unconditional love. And so it's difficult for us to understand this God who loves the people outside who were out doing God knows what last night and who aren't here with, in church like worshiping God today. And we go, God, how can you love them as much as you love me? And he's like, because I'm, I'm God and, and, and you, you, you're not God. So you have a difficult time understanding that. We lack the ability to love unconditionally, which is why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us do the things that we can't do. Isolation says that as the Holy Spirit works in us, we should be developing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We should be developing these things that the Holy Spirit works in us because we can't do those things without Holy Spirit power. In our lives, we can't surrender to God. We can't love other people the way God loves us unless Holy Spirit is working in us. And so we've seen from um, from Genesis to Jeremiah, and, and and then from John, that from the beginning God's plan included people um, and a nation of people, but that it was His plan was always bigger than just Abraham or just the nation of, of Israel, one person or one family. God's plan always started with a person, but it always ends with people. And so we see throughout the, the history of the Bible, we, we see God calls individual people, but his plan always includes everybody. I'm going to call you Noah to save humanity so that all people on earth can be blessed through you. And I'm going to call you Abraham, and I'm going to bless you so that all people on earth can be blessed. And I'm going to call you, and, and even just uh, go back to the judges in the Old Testament, Gideon, and, uh, and all of those, Deborah and all them, they called a person to then bless a people. And then he calls a nation, the people and nation of Israel, to bless all people on earth. And then he sends Jesus, his son, a person, to bless all people for all time. So God's plan always starts with a person and it always ends with people. And I think we see the apex of that plan in Jesus, right? Let's look at this verse. 
all of this is from God. I was talking about what happens just before these verses in the, in the, in, in the scripture, right? So you got to go back and, and look at the verses preceding this. But for our benefit, in our case this morning, let's, let's, let's say it this way. All this is from God, from Genesis, when he called Abraham, to Noah, all of those guys, and then to Jesus. God did all of this, calling a person to then bless a people. All this is from God. This plan of how God was going to love the world, it's all from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's another word, like Jesus Christ. That's not his last name, by the way. Christ is a, a, a word for Messiah. It means anointed one or the king. Okay, so um, God was reconciling the world to himself in the king, Jesus Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so all of this, Paul says, from Adam to Abraham to Noah to Jesus to the followers of Jesus today, God did all of this. He created us. He made a way for us when we blew it through sin. He helps us live for him through his Holy Spirit power. And he has made a place for us so that we can be with him forever. All of this God did. It was all from God, but it was never just about us. God reconciled himself to us, he says, through Jesus. We're reconciled through Christ and then given the ministry of reconciliation so that every person possible might also find this Jesus. And God reconciled the world to himself through Jesus and he didn't count their sins against them. Think about that for a minute. We often come to Christ and we think, well, God, Jesus died for my sin. Jesus saved me. He died for my sin. And so my sins are forgiven. But did you know that every single person who has ever lived and who will ever live, their sins are already forgiven? The people outside the, the walls of this in every church, their sin is already forgiven. And, and so... The idea that sin is going to keep us out of heaven is, is ridiculous because Jesus already paid the price for that sin. Sin doesn't keep us out of heaven. Our relationship to Jesus keeps us out of heaven. Because we haven't surrendered to him, that's what keeps us out of heaven, not our sin. God reconciled the world to himself through Jesus. He doesn't count our sins, people's sins, catch that, people's sins against him. It doesn't just say followers or believers' sins. He has committed this message of forgiveness, first to us, but then for the world. And he says, because of this, because of this plan that, that God has, we are Jesus' ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us. And so we would go, well, look, Jesus came as God's son, right? But what else? Jesus came as God's ambassador. Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now God says it through the Apostle Paul. He says, he says, look, you now take the place of Jesus. You are ambassadors to the rest of the world. 
like Jesus was an ambassador for me. So the second part of our mission is to look more like Jesus every day. Why? Why is that important? Because we're ambassadors for God. The way we live, the way we talk, the places we go, the things we do, all of that is going to show people around the world who we belong to. We're ambassadors just like Jesus. So just as God has invited the world into relationship through his son, he continues to invite the world into relationship through his sons and daughters in faith, you and I. As an example of this, Paul ends that verse we just looked at like this. He says, be reconciled to God. He ends that with, with an example of what he was talking about in the verse. We've been reconciled to God so that we can reconcile other people to God. And so we want you to be reconciled. We want you to be reconciled to God. Look, if God is primarily interested in our personal good, then we become selfish as people. If we think God exists for us, to benefit us, to bless us, to take care of us, that, that Jesus went to the cross just for me to save my sin so that I could be with him forever, so that I could make heaven complete, we become selfish people. And honestly, I think the church, capital C church around the world, is full of people who are selfish in their faith. But if God is primarily interested uh, this is the second part of that. If God is primarily interested in our collective good, then we become servants. Do you see the difference in, in the statement we made earlier? Right? So if we understand that God is primarily interested in the collective good of all people, that all people everywhere, that every person possible might come to experience real life in his son Jesus, then we become servants. Then we can get up in the morning and come when it's cold and rainy outside and we can set up. We can serve in the nursery or kids' church or out in the hallway. We can get up and make coffee. We can do all of these things because we understand that God is making his appeal to the world through us. And it's not about us anymore. It's not a selfish faith. We go, God existed for me and so that I would feel comfortable at church. But that we would become servants of those people who have not yet come in so that they might know Jesus as we do. Because God wants everyone to be saved. I, I want to look at one more passage about how Jesus, this is an example of how Jesus handled this idea of selfish faith versus servant faith. Jesus and his disciples went to uh, his home in Capernaum. It's probably Peter's home. After they were inside the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about along the way? So as they were walking home, there was an argument among the people that were in the group as they were walking with Jesus. Well, they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest, and so they didn't want to answer. You've been, you got kids or you were a kid. You know, what are you arguing back, about back there? I'm not going to tell you because it's not good. That's what they were doing. Well, I don't want to say Jesus because we know like it's not right. We should have been. But anyway, they didn't have to. After Jesus sat down, he called the 12 disciples to him. So there was probably a much bigger group, maybe the 120 that Acts talks about. And so Jesus called the 12 out of that to gather around him closely. And he says this, if you want the place of honor, you must become a slave and serve others. Or you must become a servant of others. So here's the bottom line today. Faith demands we fight for people instead of fighting for priority. Faith demands that we fight for people 
instead of fighting for priorities. So you want to say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a person of faith, and so I have the priority where God is concerned. God loves me more, and he saved me more, and he blesses me more because I'm a part of his family, and you're not. But faith really calls us, really calls us to fight for people. And say, look, it's not about me getting what I want. It's not about me being comfortable. It's not about me being happy. It's not about me being healthy. It's about me serving like Jesus so that other people can know. And, and that's hard, right? That's difficult. Because we want to come in here and we want to worship. And we want to just, I just want to sit down. I want to sing the songs. And I want to get something from them. I want to get energized. I want to get filled up on Sunday morning. But, but that's a priority, right? I, I'm the priority. I want to get what I want out of Sunday because I don't know how to make it through the rest of the week. But we've got to be people who fight for other people and go, look, I, I'm willing to give up this once in a while so that somebody else can get filled up, can receive that blessing. The blessing we receive in knowing God individually and receiving the benefits of surrender, right? When we surrender to God, we do get lots of benefits from Him. We get righteousness and salvation, and we get hope, and we get faith, and we get all of these um, things from Him. But they are all given to us for a purpose. Every person who finds real life in Jesus is given one primary purpose. And that's to help one more person find that same real life. Amen. But we are ambassadors of God, just like Jesus, because God is making his appeal for surrender and salvation through you and I, just like he did through Jesus. We will never truly help every person possible find real life in Jesus. That's our mission, right, as a church. If we're not actively working to look more like Jesus ourselves. Instead of seeking priority, like Scripture says, Jesus didn't, didn't argue about his equality with God. He became a servant. He laid all that down and became a servant of all. And so we have to go, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus was always looking for one more person to share the good news with. Because he knew the power of one person in bringing a people to faith in Jesus. So why have we supported Lee and Tina Swanda for the last 10 years when they were planting the church in Cobra and now they're living in Germany and overseeing church plants in seven different countries? Why have we done that for so long? Because we believe that God can use one person to change a nation when that one person understands their purpose to help every other person find real life. And so is our personal reconciliation selfish? Do we come to God, we come to Jesus for what we can get from him? Or are we coming for what he can do, what we can do for him? Haddon Robinson, a great um, preacher in his day and really any day, had this uh, quote. I think it was good. It's in the daily, our daily bread on July 26th. He said this, an idol can be any false idea about God or substitute for him that turns us away from knowing his true character, knowing God's true character. It is possible for me to worship an idol I call Jesus. This is this is big time here, okay? 
It's possible for me to worship an idol that I call Jesus, but that leads me away from him. Perhaps my Jesus resembles a teddy bear that lulls me to sleep, or an indulgent father or Santa Claus who doesn't take my sin seriously. Such misconceptions are not the Jesus of the Bible, but they are an idol. We make Jesus into a false God when we make his life and death and resurrection about me. Jesus saving me, Jesus loving me, Jesus blessing me. But to truly follow Jesus, we have to decentralize ourselves from the gospel story and then extend the blessings of Jesus to the world around us. Jesus didn't die for me. He died for us. And so it's not about me feeling good and me getting what I want. It's about all of us being a part of that kingdom. Each of us come to Jesus primarily because of what we get, right? We get our sins forgiven. We get Holy Spirit help uh, and power. We get hope for the future. We get the promise of heaven. We get righteousness and we get love. We do get all these things. But we've got to grow beyond that selfish view of Jesus and begin to understand ourselves as a part of his plan to bring each of those blessings to each and every person on the planet. So the expectation that you have of God when you surrender to Him determines the kind of follower you will likely become. Are you somebody who seeks their own priority or is looking out for other people? As followers of Jesus, we may need to repent of our selfishness and faith seek God's forgiveness. And then, and then we need to get with his program, right? And help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. The reason for that is that Jesus died for me because I'm a part of us. So we've looked at this whole series about these great expectations that we have of coming to faith and what we're going to get out of them. We've seen that often the things that we expect to be getting from God aren't really what he offers or gives because they don't fit his purpose. Because his purpose is bigger than just you and I or us. It's, it's, it's the whole world. We exist as a, as a church and I think as people of faith to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. To the extent that we do extent that we work to look more like Jesus every day, to surrender to his rule and, and reign as we wait for his return, the extent we do that, we'll be able to greater help every person possible find real life. We expect God to have tunnel vision for us, but we need to widen that vision so that we see his plan of every person possible. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us, but really, Thank you for loving all of us. Thank you for calling each and every one of us to a, a greater relationship, understanding, and knowledge, and wisdom of you. God, thank you for giving to us the opportunity to join you in helping every other person possible find your son Jesus in that real life. And so God, help us to, to take ourselves out of that place of priority put it on other people, to look more like you so that we can bring more people to you. And, and, and God, just, just help us to, man, to look like Jesus who came to serve, not to be served, and then give himself 
as a ransom for us. So God, would we just would we daily surrender to you? Would we look out for every person possible? Help us do that, God, in Jesus.
Hey, don't go anywhere. Quick announcement time. First off, what an awkward ride home that's going to be in the Landreth vehicle. Uh, Trevor's going to start picturing childhood Christmases and birthdays, thinking about the gifts Tristan got. Well, yeah, she did. She did get. Oh. Um, secondly, we are going to celebrate two very special people to the Real Life Church in the back. Um, and if you're asking what's in it for you, cake and, and punch. So I expect to see everybody's smiling faces back there. See you in a bit. <laughs> 